0: Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Piller with the Eastern Conference Final beginning tonight. Since the Islanders are in it, we now are a step closer to knowing where two of the 13 draft picks your Ottawa Senators hold in the 2020 draft. We'll get into our plans here leading up to the big day. We'll also break down game one between the Golden Knights and Dallas Stars, a goalie battle. We love that here on a goalie friendly show. And we've got part one of our interview with North American head of scouting at Dauber Prospects, Tony Ferrari. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team, every day. Today is Monday, September 7th. Pillsy, the Ottawa Senators one step closer. They will either draft 28th, 30th, or 31st, depending on how the New York Islanders finish up this Stanley Cup playoffs.
2: Pretty disappointing,
1: to say the least
2: not a full complete effort on that game seven and the islanders gone do what the islanders gone do and they shut things down just like they always do and it's real heartbreaking because we talked about it on the last show this was one of the biggest games for the senators that they're not involved in in their franchise history with those the pick moving down a lot of spots and it's basically a late first rounder slash early second round pick now where it's where it's slotted in there. So really disappointing, especially remember when we traded Pajot and they lost eight straight games and you're thinking huh, this is looking like it might turn out to be a real bargain here. And we got an absolute steal of a deal with the draft pick going to be in the top 15. Not anymore.
1: How many mock drafts did you see where it was Ottawa picking two ice in the top five, which is still a thing if you guys forgot. And then the third pick would be 13th. It's like, should we get our franchise goalie in a I mean, it's our third pick there. Now a a pipe dream. Uh, Keep your uh, eyes on Tyson Forster as well. JR from TSN 1200 tweeting out that a little birdie told him that. So uh, just passing on that information. But when you said heartbreaking in the Islanders in the same sentence, how, as a Sens fan, was it not the Pajot tweet post game? The pesky Isles, that's twisting the knife.
2: Yeah. And you know what? Pesky Sens, that's that's kind of an old identity. I don't think that's really the identity of this rebuilding core and DJ Smith's group. But it was a little weird having Pajot tweet that out because, man, did they band around that pesky Sens uh, style of game? And we talked about it earlier. The 20, uh, 20, 2020 New York Islanders are very similar to those 2017 Ottawa Senators. Those weren't the pesky sends back in that day, but it's nice that Pajot at least still has that pesky style and uh, mindset to him when it comes to playing the game of hockey. And speaking of pesky
1: style, how about being a healthy scratch for three games straight and then coming back and living up, to the illustrious nickname of big game brass. Derek Broussard with five points in five games, including maybe the assist of the series. That was gorgeous through the seam pass. There's an awesome picture we tweeted out at Send Central. Um, like basically from Broussard's point of view. And you can see just a perfect lane. And uh and he threaded thread the needle there. So two sends abroad, gone on to the East Final in Broussard and Pajot. In the West. You got the favorites, you should call them. Are are they still, after dropping game one, it was Marc-Andre Fleury between the pipes? Would have been three games and four nights for Robin Leonard. You knew that Pete DeBoer had the pressure coming from the outside, at least, which I don't know how much he cares about but that maybe Fleury should get another chance. Fleury hadn't lost to Dallas, and keep this in mind, they're in the same division. He had not lost to Dallas since being acquired by the Golden Knights, so going on three years now, but Pilsy, that was uh, not his fault by any means.
2: No, not at all, and I think that was the right move by Pete DeBoer going with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury for game number one, because game number one, look, it's obviously you want to win that, you want to get up to a 1-0 start, but you're down 1-0, and, It's really not a big deal at all. I would still say Vegas is the favorites to win the Cup.
1: Well, how much different would you say the value is of game one if it was in Vegas and you've dropped a home game now all of a sudden and you have to go in to the other team's building? Do you think that the fact that there's no fans might play uh, a role in as it would make sense the games get more important as they get to game seven, but usually you want to set the tone in game one, especially as the favorite home team.
2: And that's a fair point, especially uh, I've been to a game in Vegas and that crowd is absolutely electric. I was just there for a regular season game, so I couldn't imagine what it'd be like in the playoffs. So that is a good point. Uh, Neutral site definitely changes things. But I think uh, the betting odds Vegas uh, for the playoff series win is still a minus 120 and they're down one nothing. So. I don't think they're worried. I don't think the rest of the world is worried. The Stars feel pretty good about being up one nothing on a game they barely slipped by. Vegas had a couple chances there in the 3rd outshooting them 13-2 to in the third period. So, Gudobin barely hung on there. But good for the Dallas Stars because I don't think Vegas is just going to plow over these guys. Like, we haven't seen Vegas being totally shut down like that pretty much all playoffs. They've always been dominating even the games they've lost like that four nothing Canucks loss, the Golden Knights for the better team by far. So this is a little taste of their own medicine and it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back in game two.
1: Pilsy the last time a Vegas forward scored on a goalie was in game four against Vancouver in the last four games only Shea Theodore and he is a pair but has scored on an actual active goaltender, the only other two goals. One was Alex Tuck and Paul Stastny on an empty net in Game 7 victory. So they need more production from their forwards. We've seen all the highlights of Stonesy doing it defensively and and creating turnovers and being on the forecheck, but he's just been getting stoned, uh, pardon the pun, but he hasn't been able to find the back of the net. And they need him. They need Pacioretty who had scored four goals in the previous five games. So they need to get some life back into their offense. If there's a team to bet on
2: it's Vegas though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I don't think anyone is too concerned with that loss. Like if it had been more than a one goal deficit, I think maybe you're a little concerned, but a one nothing game where it was kind of a slow game, to be honest, it was more of a feeling out process between both teams. And Ross, I'm going to go with, they talked about it on the broadcast last night, but I'd totally agree. The big X factor here, no Ryan Reeves. It was a one-game suspension. We thought it might be a little bit more because that, I don't think I've seen a more blatant hit to the head in a long time. Uh, definitely could have warranted more. But in the playoffs, uh, the games count for a lot more, right? I think it was Elliot Friedman that was talking about it. Vegas just didn't seem nasty. Like, they didn't seem hungry. They weren't They weren't. Ha- with that overflowing confidence. And when you got a guy like Ryan Reeves out there, who's got over 70 hits in these playoffs, you feel a little bit more confident getting out there and having the teams hesitate a little when they touch that puck, because they're worried they're going to get lit up by Ryan Reeves. So I think even though he's probably the guy who plays the least amount of ice time for the Vegas Golden Knights, he might be a key factor here in kickstarting them and igniting that fiery passion again to get them going for game two. Yeah, he'll be back in the lineup, and you can be sure he'll be in on the
1: forecheck, the league's leader in hits in this postseason. All right, Pillsy, we've done a ton of draft stuff on the show, and we're going to continue to do so. We've got the part one interview with Tony Ferrari. Part two drops tomorrow, um, and we'll be breaking down the first game also of the East final, uh, which should be some awesome hockey. After the interview, I want to ask you what your predictions are for both series because we took yesterday off the show and – Therefore, didn't have a preview. But before we get to those predictions, it's time to get to Tony Ferrari. We get into a ton about the prospect system. He does cover the Ottawa Senators for Dauber prospects and a whole lot more. So before we do, we have to tell you about Bilt Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Pillsy, I need right off the bat. Pick of the week.
2: Oh, coming to me right away. I better be ready, eh? Let's go. I'm loving The salted caramel. I'm a big sucker for mixing those flavor uh, profiles, sweet and salty. You get the nice caramel flavor and then a little bit of salt just to keep you coming back for more. And then uh, you get a little more water after your workout. So I think salted caramel, that's my pick of the week.
1: And how can a salted caramel protein bar that we claim tastes like a candy bar? And why do we claim that? Well, it's because it's covered in chocolate. And that makes it seem like it's dessert, but it's low in fat, low in calories, but it's high in everything you want it to be, and that is protein and fiber. So feel good after your workout. Grab a Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and put in the cro- promo code Locked On, and you'll get ten dollars off your next order. That's BiltBar.com. Zero guilt, 100% taste. That's why we love. Built Bar, you have to go to their website. It's so easy to navigate. I'm looking at it right now. It tells you all the nutritional facts about all their different flavors, and they have so many. It's one of the widest variety of flavors among any protein bar on the market. There's 16 in total. Eight have nuts. Eight are nut free if you prefer that. But they're 100% guilt free. Go to builtbar.com, see it for yourself right now, and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your next order. All right, here he is, Tony Ferrari. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. He is the head of North American Scouting at Dauber Prospects, where he also covers the Ottawa Senators. He's the co-host of the Dauber Draftcast with Joke Nevilleinen, who was just on the show last week. It's Tony
0: Ferrari. How are you doing today, Tony? Mm -hmm. Not bad, not bad. I mean, just here to spread the Thomas Shabbat love and tell everyone how good he is.
1: Well, that's definitely where we want to start because you set the internet and specifically sends Twitter ablaze with your tweet referencing some seriously talented young defensemen. Now, there's no denying that Miro Heiskinen, Quinn Hughes, Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, they're all going to do great things in the league. I think where sends Twitter got offended, that there was an omission of Thomas Shabbat was the Adam Fox. Where he's only one year younger, he had his rookie season. Was that where you drew the line? Just the fact that it was his first year in the league?
0: I didn't originally want to group him in with those other guys, and then I, I did because he was a rookie this this past season. And and the the one the way I look at it is, Adam Fox is a really really good defenseman, and, and Thomas Shabbat as well. Like I, I no disrespect to Thomas Shabbat. I think he's one of the most talented defensemen in the NHL. Clearly, he's one of the best offensive defensemen in the NHL. Um, like he, he's he's one of those guys that. It, if I'm the Ottawa senators, I'm not complaining that Thomas Shabbat's my top defenseman right now. Like it's, it's not anything against him. It was, it was specifically like, I was just kind of lamenting, like basically complimenting Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, uh, Miro Heisken and some of the young guys. And and I had a few people like, Oh, John Marino should have been in that group. And then, and, and Shay Theodore should have been in that group. And, and I was like, okay guys, like it's fine. And then of course senators Twitter, because like I said, I have a little bit of a sense following because of the covering their prospects for dollar prospects. and, as soon as, as soon as Sean Simpson from TSN tweeted it out and it was like, well, Shabbat should be in this group too. I was like, all right, I'm in for it. This is going to be a day.
2: Yeah, the, the Sens fans, they always they know they have to fight to get their guys heard. So they make sure it happens on Twitter, that's for sure. But I want to go from one young defenseman in Shabbat to another one in Eric Branstrom. Now, Eric Branstrom, he kind of got thrust into an NHL role last season because of injuries and just the limited depth chart on the Sens uh, on the back end. Where do you see Branstrom this season and how important is this season going to be for his overall development?
0: I think Branstrom's a really, really good defenseman. He's a, he's a guy that I think is going to get power play time in the NHL and and I think there's a, a legitimate chance that if he if everything works out, he could even push Thomas Shabbat for that top power play time. like he's that good offensively. but the, the issue with Branstrom is he's a little undersized and sometimes his defensive play isn't isn't all there. Um, I think he this is going to be a big year, like you said. Um, I I think he was probably thrust into the NHL a little bit too soon last year. Um, I thought he could have been fine if he played the entire season up there and and he, he could have worked through some kinks, especially since Ottawa wasn't really doing a whole lot of winning last year, anyways. So it was one of those situations where I don't think there was a wrong choice, but there was times where he seemed overwhelmed. But at the same same point, there were times like I remember early in the season against Toronto when he, he was playing really, really well. And, and he took Matthews right into the net, denying that empty net goal and, and just got the, the big cut on his face and whatnot. And there was moments like that where you seen like, okay, this is a guy that's a top four defenseman at the NHL level. But like any young defenseman for the most part, except for maybe those guys and Thomas Shabbat that we were mentioning earlier, th- these kids, need, they need some time to develop, especially physically, right? And, and Eric Brennan's right in that group. Yeah, two full seasons
1: in North America before turning 21, including 33 games in the National Hockey League. Pilsy and I worked for Belleville in the production team. We got to see a lot of his home games there where he was basically a point-of-game player. Um, When the trade happened, uh, I mean, the hype trade had already left. Mark Stone being such a big piece. We're seeing it day in, day out in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. But Eric Carlson was kind of thrown out there as, as a comparison that all Sens fans would know. I think that ship has sailed, but... Out of these two defensemen, which one do you think he has more of a chance of reaching the ceiling of? Like a Tobias
0: Enstrom or a Mark Streit? Would those be two fair comparables? I think there's a realistic shot where he's even a little bit better than both of those guys. I, I think, especially offensively, I think he's got some real dynamism to his game. And, and like I said, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if you guys have end up going, you know what, two power, two defensive on the power play, despite the fact that the league's getting away from that, because a guy like Shabbat and a guy like Branstrom, they're both more than will like more than worthy of playing on that top power play unit. So I think, Offensively, he could probably have a little bit more of an offensive upside, but especially Mark Strait, I, I think that's a really good profile for where his defensive game could go.
1: Man, Mark Strait put up a 62 point season. I was shocked when I actually looked that up. So he had a couple offensive seasons. The only thing I'll challenge you on putting both of them on the power play. Well, there's the, the, the fact that they're both two left shots, but I love, and Pillsy agrees with me, Drake Batherson on the point on the power play. This guy's vision is so elite. He can thread the needle and he also has a pretty good shot. Um, he, to us, is the number one prospect in the Sens organization above Branstrom. How high are you on Drake Batherson? Do you think he needs to pick up his pace even more to be at the NHL level, or will that come with time?
0: I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you on the fact that he's probably the top prospect in the organization right now. I think you have a trio with him, Josh Norris, and Branstrom kind of r- really at the top of the group right now. And, and there are three really good prospects, but I don't know if any of them are of that like elite, elite level. I think Brand, or Batherson's a guy that, like you said, he's he's a guy that can really run a power play completely on his own. He doesn't need much help out there. So if if you're going to put those two defensemen out there, you're also mitigating his playmaking opportunities as well. So like you said. So if if Batherson's the guy that's running your top power play unit and Shabbat's more of the trigger man or secondary playmaker, that's not a bad situation because Batherson I think, is – I think Batherson might be the most underrated prospect in this end system because I think everyone acknowledges that he's good, but I don't think anyone acknowledges that he's he's a guy that's going to play top top six minutes and be a very productive player at the NHL level.
1: And his growth too in size since his draft, he's still kind of growing into that ball. I think it's like three or four inches, and he's been a guest on the show, so we have definitely been pumping Batherson's tires since day one. And we love that on his scouting combine, they asked what NHLer he models his game after. And it was the aforementioned Mark Stone. So if he can turn into even like half the player that Mark Stone is, I think Sens fans would be thrilled. Pillsy,
2: would you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to replace Mark Stone somehow. So if you can get Batherson to do that, that's definitely the way to go uh, as a homegrown guy as well. But we're all very clear on how we feel about Batherson and Branstrom. Here's a guy that I think is probably the most polarizing prospect in the Sens system. That's Logan Brown. Where do you think Logan Brown fits in this year? Like, we just have such a hard time pinpointing what stage he's at. And if Logan Brown doesn't take a big step in his development, what does that mean with for his role within the Senators this year?
0: Man, Logan Brown's a guy that I, I still have a lot of hope for because, like, I, I'm from Windsor, and, and he played for the Spitfires here for, for a long time. and And he was so good. And he was a guy that I looked at and I'm like, that's a, a, an NHL top six playmaking center. If I've ever seen one, he has the frame, he has the skating, he, he has everything that you want in a player like that, especially he, he, all the physical tools are there. I think he just needs to get his processing speed up a little bit more because, because I think when the game gets ramped up, that's when he starts to struggle. I think as a, as a playmaker and on the power play, he can excel. I I think at five on five is where he's going to struggle a little bit, but I think this is the year that you go, you know what, Logan, we're going to toss you in. You're going to be the third line center. We're going to let you play some games at the NHL level, especially because we don't know what the AHL is going to look like this year. So I think the senators are going to be one of those teams like red wings as well. And a few others where they're going to be like, you know what, rather than them playing an uncertain 25 game, 35 game, whatever the AHL season ends up looking like, we're going to have you play with the NHL club. We're going to have – you because if they do do 82 games like they want and they start in December, that schedule is going to be compressed. They're gonna Teams are going to need young guys. Teams are going to need those AHL guys to really contribute. So I think the Senators are in a really good spot for that because they have all these guys like Brown, Branstrom, Norris, uh, Batherson, who can come up and, and just play – even if they're playing every other game, you have guys rotating in and out of the lineup like that. That's a great way to get these guys acclimated to the NHL level. And I think something like that would work really well for Logan Brown because – I think he's done with the eight Like we we've seen what he's done there. And I I think he needs to take that step to the NHL level. And and we're almost at the point with him where you got to let him sink or swim
1: to an extent. DJ Smith wasn't always the first to throw Logan Brown over the board. He averaged under 12 minutes a game this year under him. And before we get to some uh, hypotheticals, I mean, we're talking certainties and what the sends already have. You mentioned being from Windsor. What kind of profile do you think that DJ Smith has as a coach? Uh, being able to follow him when he was with the Spitfires as well. Is he the right guy to lead this young team into a,
0: becoming a contender? I think DJ Smith's a really good coach. Like, I, I think he got a lot of flack in Toronto. Like, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm a Leafs fan personally, and and he got a lot of flack in Toronto. And, Don't and worry, I think we'll I'll, edit that out. Yeah, that's fine. Or you can just, <laughs> right where I said it, just go, piece of crap. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think DJ Smith's a really good coach. I think the Senators were smart in hiring him, despite the fact that there was a little bit of hate online from it. Um, I think he's done really well. He's done a good job in Windsor. He did a good job in Oshawa. Uh, he's, he's a guy that just everywhere he goes, there seems to be success except Toronto, but that's just Toronto in general. So um, I, I think he's a great coach. And with the young guys, he's, he's shown the ability to do it in the OHL. So I, I think he's a great coach to help develop these young guys.
2: So we talked about the prospects we like. We talked about the coach. Now let's get to arguably one of the most important drafts in franchise history this 2020 draft Ross and I certainly are glad that this is a big draft because it's been keeping content for us since Ross how many days since the Sends played uh, it's 179 but who's counting <laughs> yeah exactly it's been a while for us to do a daily podcast on the sender, so the drafts keeping us going as I'm sure it is you I think Everyone's pretty set on where the Senators are going to go with number three. I think the more polarizing pick is at number five. What direction do you see the Senators picking uh, at fifth overall?
0: There, there's so many directions the Sens can go with fifth. And I, I know there's a lot of people that really like Jamie Drysdale. And and I'll get him out of the way first because uh, that's a pick I wouldn't make personally. I think Jamie Drysdale is a good defenseman. But I, I don't know if he has that number one upside. He's the guy that screams – the second guy on a top pair. He, he's a guy that I think can be really, really good, but I, he doesn't get to that great or elite tier. I don't think. And I, and I think this draft has, has two of those guys, Jake Sanderson as well. So I, I think defenseman's what I'd avoid this year, at least in the top five. Um, if, if no defenseman goes in the top five, it'll be the first time since 2003 that that happens. So th- the likelihood of it happening, J- Drysdale or Sanderson will get taken in the top five by somebody, but if I'm a GM, I'm not, I'm not get, grabbing it. But if, if the players that I, I do like in that position, I think Lucas Raymond's a stud. He's the guy that I, I'd, I'd be gunning for, but he, he's also the guy I'd be gunning for at three personally. So um, I, I think Lucas Raymond's one of the top talents in this draft. And I think he's a guy that can really drive a line from the wing. He, has, he may not play exactly like Patrick Kane in, in that t- sort of water bug shiftiness, but he's got that ability to drive a line from the, from, the, from the wing like Patrick Kane does. And I think that's a really good element, and it helps, helps mitigate the need for a, a, a real top-end second-line center or third-line center because if you can put Lucas Raymond on your second line or even on your first line, it, it helps that center not have to be the, the guy that drives the line. Um, you look at a guy like, like Josh Norris and maybe he's the guy that ends up being the center for, for Lucas Raymond down the road or something. And, and maybe Josh Norris, isn't that guy that really drives the line at the NHL level, but he's a, certainly a competent NHL player in the future, but you put Lucas Raymond on that wing and he's the guy that can really get that line buzzing. And and for me, that's the guy, no brainer pick at number five, if, if he's there, but like I said, he's probably been my guy at number three too. So.
1: Yeah, well, I'm looking at your March draft rankings right now, and uh, the guys at four and five both moved up a couple spots. What did Marco Rossi do
0: to jump up as much as he did? Well, to be completely honest, I think it was just I didn't really respect the, his game early in the year. Um, that's on me, not not on him, really, because I think th- there wasn't anything that he was doing wrong. I just I, I kind of fell into that little bit of the well, he's a, a little center, and and he's a guy that yeah, he's got those those big Sidney Crosby like thighs I've described them over through over the season where he's able to just power around the ice and he doesn't really get pushed off the puck like a smaller player. And, and his game's really grown on me over the year because every question I've had with him, he's just answered it every time. So I, I think he's a guy that maybe he doesn't stick at center at the NHL level, but he could be that really high end two way winger that can put up 70 points and be a defensive presence. Like I'm I don't know if Mark Stone's full impact is the the actual true uh, ceiling he reaches because he doesn't have the size that Mark Stone has. And Mark Stone really uses his size like like almost no one else in the NHL effectively with body positioning and whatnot. So but that style of player is what kind of game that I see Marco Rossi playing at the next level, especially if he moves over to the wing.
2: So what, with this draft uh, for the Senators, Tony, what would you say the Senators' biggest need is positionally? Is it that coveted number one center? I know uh, you kind of flipped the script and said you would actually prefer they take Raymond right away at three. So if they did that, then what positional need do you think they're going to go with? Is it going to be the centerman?
0: Uh, I think the centerman is, is a real need for for most teams. And the Senators are no different from that because I, I they have a lot of guys that profile as, as good number two centers. And, and I don't know if they have that number one guy. And and unless they get Byfield, I don't know if they get that number one guy early in this draft, especially if you're wanting him to come along in the next couple of years. Cause Marco Rossi, if, if you do draft him at, at, at five, maybe he, he's a guy that can play center, but, Again, it's going to be a few years before I think he's that top line center.
1: Tony, I just want to ask you quickly as well. With with uh, LA having the second pick, how shocked would you be if Quentin Byfield is available at three?
0: I wouldn't be completely shocked because there has been some some buzz about Stiltsla being the guy there. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm a big Stiltsla guy. I was I was one of the early adopters. I had him in my top six and top five early in the year, top 10 early in the year, when most people were kind of still warming up on the guy. So I, I think he's, he's a guy that I, I'm really big on. But for me, there, there's a line between him and Raymond. And, and Raymond just is, is the better player to me. He's much more projectable and whatnot. But I think if, if Stutzla goes at two and in Ottawa ends up getting byfield, that's the steal of the draft because I've said it all year. I think byfield has the highest ceiling in this entire draft, Lafrenia included. Mm-hmm. I, I've been a guy that said all year that, Byfield's closer to Lafreniere than whoever you want to put at third. I don't care who you put there. Byfield's closer to Lafreniere. Um, I, I even wrote a, an article on Dauber Prospects earlier this year when the placeholder team kind of got that first overall pick. And I wrote why Byfield makes most sense at number one right now if, if you're one of those teams. Because if you're a team like, like Toronto or Pittsburgh who, who had the chance to draft at first overall, getting that cheap elite level center – is something that you, you don't necessarily have a chance to do very often. And and I think if Ottawa is the guy, a team that gets that guy at third, it, they're going to be laughing and they could draft me at fifth overall and they still win this draft. I love that.
1: Uh, do you think that Quinton Byfield will need one more year in Sudbury or is he going to step right into
0: the National Hockey League? Uh, I, I think he he could use one more year because I I think he'd probably have a, a rookie year like Capo Caco or, or Jack Hughes this year where – despite the fact that he isn't necessarily physically immature in terms of his raw size and weight, he's still a lanky kid. He's still one of the youngest players in this draft class. Like he just turned 18 and the draft was supposed to happen three months ago now. So it's not like he's, he's Lafreniere who's, who turned 18 at the start of this draft year. And he's been a man basically since then he still needs to fill out and whatnot. And ideally Byfield's a perfect example of the guy, the guy that you look at and you go, man, I wish there was an exemption to that AHL or the OH, CHL-NHL deal because if he could play at the NH- or AHL level, that's the perfect spot for him. Um, I know some people kind of talked about him going over to Europe at, at some point this year and maybe playing a year there and, and kind of taking a, a developmental year there depending on the team that he gets drafted to. But I think that's something that would have to be worked out with the OHL or uh, because I know – with some of the OHL players that are going over to Europe to start the year, they have to come back if they start on December 1st. And if Byfield goes over there, I don't think going back to the OHL is a realistic option for him.
1: Like I said, stay tuned for part two tomorrow. Appreciate great chat with him. Part two, uh, the, we got to stand up for one of our boys, Joey Decord. We'll leave it at that for now. Pilsey, I asked for your predictions before I teased it. All right, let's we'll start in the West. It's already one nothing. You're sticking with Vegas though, I'm assuming.
2: Without a doubt, I'm sticking to Vegas. And look, Dallas played a really good game, but I had mentioned it before. I think when Ryan Reeves gets back, this team's going to be clicking again. I'm saying Vegas in six.
1: Vegas in six. I'm going to go with seven, just because Dallas showed they can hang with them. They can shut them down defensively. Let's remember, Dallas had the fewest goals against in the National Hockey League this season. They didn't score a whole lot. They've proven that to be a myth with how they handled Colorado, especially putting them up for, what, three, five spots in a row? They didn't get the offense, but they got enough that they needed uh, by beating Marc-Andre Fleury just the one time. That's all it needed when uh, your goalie's playing like Anton Kudobin, his first NHL career playoff start. I think Kudobin is still feeling it. he's going to have to be sharp. We saw what Vegas has done to goalies all playoffs long. Um, so I think that they can push it to seven, but in a seventh game, your stars have to be your stars, and that's where I think Vegas is going to have the edge with that extra firepower offensively. And uh, in the East, I'll start with my prediction in that one. Uh, it's so hard to bet against the Islanders, and I've done it in every series so far. But this Tampa team—we've talked about how they've been through it before. This—they still missing their their best player, their captain, and Steven Stamkos. And John Cooper said he won't be there for the East final, which is a huge blow, I'm still going Tampa in five. I think the firepower is too much. If there's a team that can shut them down, Islanders have proved that maybe they're the the toughest opponent in the East, but it's got to be Tampa, and it's going to be in five games.
2: Look, I'm with you, Ross. The Islanders just keep disappointing. The Lightning have way too much firepower here to be disappointed, but there is no way the Islanders go down in five games. There's no way I'm I believe I believe in you and I think that's a good prediction. But the Islanders will prove you wrong and they will prove me wrong, too. That's why I'm again, I stick with my gut, guys. I know I I know the Lightning are going to win this, but it's going to be hard. It's going all the way to seven games and. OT in game seven for everyone. All right, Game 7 OT with a
1: spot in the Stanley Cup Final on the line. I'm sure no hockey fan would be arguing if that is the outcome uh, here because it's the spot for a Sens fan where it's 28th, 30th, or 31st. You know, the likelihood that they're going to get the player they want in that spot and with the assets, if you want to just add that second, third they got for DeMello and move up a couple spots at this point, I think it'd be awesome to see Pajot versus Stone. We saw last year with the handshake between Carlson and stone Pager and stone go even further back playing for the Binghamton senators together. So I think it'd be great to see uh, those two go head to head with a Stanley cup and sends a broad title on the line. Pillsy a couple more things before we go. And uh, it's super sad news or every year, the anniversary of the locomotive plane crash where two former senators lost their lives along with uh, many, many others. So um, tough day as the ninth anniversary is Pavel Dimitra and Carl Rakunik two really popular uh, players Rakunik the captain of that motive team as well so uh, we just have to I mean it's news it's it's uh, it happened it sucks but uh, we obviously wish they all rest in peace so I know that uh, you're a big fan of Pavel Dimitra too and, and many others on that team
2: yeah that's what a tragedy and I mean Anytime you get uh, accidents that happen like that, where it's a group of people, especially uh, a hockey team together, that uh, end up in just mass tragedy is just terrible for the hockey world. And those guys had some good years left. Pavel Dimitri was a great player. I uh, loved him in the NHL, and I think he still had a little bit of juice left in in, in, in him in Russia. So... Definitely rest in peace to those guys, and uh, thinking of their families and friends today.
1: Yeah, and it just hits home too, as as hockey team and former hockey players ourselves, and the the bus rides you take yeah. together, and uh, similar to the humble Broncos, it's it's just so tragic. And uh, yeah, of course, just want everyone to know that we're we're thinking of them uh, on this day. Pilsy, uh, we're 32 days away from the NHL draft, and with that, with we know that the Sens are going to pick 33rd. And that means we have to get back to draft ranking season. We're going to do a little bit differently this time. We've broken down the players. Go back and listen to the episodes. They're titled with our rankings from 50 to 1. But we can only do so much. And we don't go to the ranks and scout these players. We've seen a few of them play just in passing or in tournaments, that sort of thing. So what we've done is we've taken the six rankings that we trust the most. We've added them up, divided them by six, and we've averaged out The rankings we're going to release step by step. We're going to do two a day, I think is a good way to do it. That way, it's two full rounds for you guys.
2: Yeah, and I'm excited to get back into this because, Ross, when we were doing those rankings, we're talking about April and May. We were looking at these guys. So, the amount of information and data, and some of these guys are playing again. So, you get to see them back on the ice and look. Like Ross said, we're just two podcasting guys, so we don't want you to think, hey, what does some random podcast know about these draft prospects? Well, we're putting it all together and we're using the experts to get the best kind of analysis of where these guys slot in, and then we'll give our own two cents on what these guys are all about.
1: Exactly. We'll give you their potential in our opinion, the player comparable, when we could expect to see them in the National Hockey League, and here are the names of the rankings that we chose to use. Bob McKenzie, Scott Wheeler, Corey Prodman, Cam Robinson, Craig Button, and the overall EP draft guide. So stay tuned for that all week long. We've got part two with Tony Ferrari coming and a whole lot more. And I want to thank the listeners as well. We just got named the number one downloaded podcast this past week among hockey podcasts on the Locked On Network. And considering the Sens haven't played in 180 days, we thank you for the passion because Sens fans are the best. Hey, Pelzi, you got uh, anything last in closing?
2: Yeah, just for everyone that's followed along, it's been a long grind. And uh, since that last game of hockey between the Sens and the Kings, for for our franchise anyways, it's been a long grind. We're we're here on Labor Day, on the long weekend, making content for you guys. So keep following along, and there's only good things to come. We're going up, up, and up, and we're going to keep things firing on all cylinders for you guys. That's Brandon Piller.
1: I'm Ross Levitan, laboring through the long weekend for the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.